0: Right, so Hosea chapter 6, starting in verse 1. If you want to open up your Bible there. If you don't have your Bible, there should be a hardback black one near you. Uh, We would invite you to to use one of them. Uh, If you don't know where Hosea is, that's okay. It's a small prophet. Uh, that the the church doesn't teach from very often. Uh, So you're not the only one who doesn't know where Hosea is. It's okay to look into your index and find it. Um, If you don't own a Bible, we would like to encourage you to take this Bible with you. Uh, Make it your own. Use it to read God's Word. And and please consider it a gift from the church. So Hosea chapter 6, and we're we're just going to deal with chapter 6 today. But really, uh, because Hosea is a um, it's, it's a book of prophecy, but it's a, a book that is a collection of sermons that Hosea gave to the nation of Israel as he was prophesying what God told him to say. And so I'm going to give you some homework, okay? I need you to go back either today or sometime this week and read Hosea 4, 5, and 7. Okay, because we're gonna we're gonna skip those chapters uh, because Hosea six is a good summary of of what's told in verses four, or five, and in, in chapters four, five, and seven. And so, uh, for the sake of time, uh, we're, we're only going to cover chapter six today. And so, your homework is uh, to dig into four, five, and seven as well. C.S. Lewis, in probably his, his most famous sermon called "The Weight of Glory." He talks about how the problem with, with, with humans is not that we love and desire joy too much, but that we don't love and desire it enough. He says the ultimate end of our joy and our desire is God, right? It's, 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 it's finding our satisfaction in the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that is what will bring us the most happiness, to be in uh, fellowship, and, and worshiping the God who loved us enough to send His Son. He says, unfortunately, we get stuck with these lesser things, right? We, we tend to love uh, things that don't bring us ultimate joy. And he says, you know, for most adults, that, that falls into things like, um, you know, alcohol. Or sex, or our work, or money. He says, those are all, those can be good things, right? Those can be good gifts from God, but ultimately, we turn them into God's. He says that we are like a child in the slums of London building mud pies, and someone comes and offers us. He would use the term holiday because he's British. We would use the term vacation. They come and offer us a vacation at the sea, and we say, No, thank you, because we're too busy enjoying our mud pies. That's, that's how C.S. Lewis would, would uh, illustrate the fact that we, we love joy not enough, that we are satisfied with lesser things. And so our problem, and, and, and this, is, this is what Hosea wants us to see in chapter 6, is that we love lesser things. We love things that don't bring ultimate joy. We love things that fall short of the joy that is found for us in God. And so our big idea for today, what, what we want to aim towards as we walk through Hosea chapter 6, is that God is calling us to love him because he first loved us. God is calling us to love him because he first loved us. Now, remember where we are, right? We, we are in, um, the nation of Israel has been divided into two nations. You have Israel in the north. You have, you have Judah in the south. Um, Judah still has the line of David serving as their king. Israel has kind of splintered off of that. And so Israel has fallen into idolatry, and it is something that every king of Israel has participated in. They continue to do a semi-worship of God, but they encourage and participate in the worship of idols as well. So we saw last week where God calls Hosea to marry Gomer, a a prostitute, um, to illustrate the relationship between God and Israel. And 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 Jose and Gomer they have three children, uh, but Gomer runs off with other men. She falls back into prostitution. And if you remember, as as we finished up yes, or uh, last week, um, Hosea goes to the market to find her. She's standing up on the 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 selling block, uh, and he he buys her back, right. He takes her away from her shame, away from her nakedness, and he clothes her and, and, and brings her home as his wife. And we, we talked about how that's that's meant to, to call to us as we tend to to wander away from Christ, that, that he is calling us to, to to repent of our sins and trust in him and to be clothed in his righteousness And so here, this is a, uh, chapter 6 is a a sermon from Hosea to the people of Israel. And notice what he says. We start in verse 1, and really verses 1 through 3, he is calling the people of Israel to turn back to God. And he says in verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. He is his going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So. These three verses, right, because listen, he, here's how a prophet works. A prophet stands up and he says, thus says the Lord, right? A prophet speaks the literal words of God. But these first three verses are not a prophecy from God to the people of Israel. This is Hosea speaking to Israel. And Hosea is saying, let us, let us go back to God, we have turned from him, we have run from him, but let us, let us turn collectively and go back to him. And, and notice, notice in verse 1, right? He has torn us that he may heal us, he has struck us down and he will bind us up. This reminds us that God disciplines his people to bring them back. When God's people wander away from him, he disciplines them to draw them back. In fact, we would argue, just like Hosea, that oftentimes God hurts his people to heal them. He brings them into pain. He brings them into difficulty. Sometimes he actually takes things away from them to heal them, to bring them back to what they need the most. Because what the people of Israel needed the most was not protection, right? And they were running to Assyria, and they were running to Egypt to be protected. And the Assyrians and the Egyptians were just going to use them, right? Eventually, the Assyrians are going to swallow up the nation of Israel. They, they felt like they needed their food and their drink. They felt like they needed the riches that Israel had accumulated under David and Solomon. They felt like these things were needs, and God was tearing them away from them to show them that ultimately what they need for healing is not protection and safety or stuff, but Him. Friends, if the American church misses that God is calling out to us in this same way, We don't need to be safe. We don't need to be well off. What we need is God. In verses 2 and 3, Hosea is seeking to remind us that God is faithful. One, he is faithful to himself. His word will stand forever. There is nothing that God says that will fade away, right? I mean, Jesus, we, we read this as we were beginning the Gospel of Matthew, that, that the flowers and the grass, they fade away, but the word of the Lord, what? It stands forever. So first, God is faithful to himself. If he says he will save, he will save. If he says he will tear down, he will tear down. If he says he will redeem, he will redeem. But not only is God faithful to himself, but he is faithful to his people. And he wants Israel to understand that he will gather them back. Those that trust, those that believe, will be saved. Friends, don't miss the connection between God calling out to Israel through the prophet Hosea and God calling out to his church Through Jesus, those who believe will be saved. So we move from verses 1 through 3 to verses 4 through 6, where where God begins to speak through Hosea. In verses 4 through 6, we see what God sees and wants. What God sees and wants. Verse 4 What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Verse four confronts us with the fact that God's people are fickle. Ephraim is a uh, it's 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 one of the 12 tribes. It's, it's another term for Israel. This is I mean, parents, have we not said what? You know, we, maybe we didn't say, what shall I do with you, oh, child? But we've said, what am I going to do with you? Right. I mean, we, we understand this language and God says to Israel and to Judah as well, note that this is not just the northern folks. This is, this is the entirety of the people of God. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. So there was this, this meteorologic, meteorological uh, uh, consistency in Israel, where there will be clouds in the morning, and then they'll, they'll go away, and nothing happens, because Israel is much like southwest New Mexico. It's a desert, right? Um, and, and so this was a, a, a known idea for the people that Hosea is speaking to, to wake up with clouds in the morning, but no rain ever comes. And of course, the the idea of dew being there on the grass early in the morning, but then it's gone by mid-morning, this is something that not only do the people of Israel understand, this is something that we in New Mexico understand, right? And God says that this is like the love of the people of Israel and the people of Judah. They have those moments where they love God and they're committed to Him, but then things come, life happens, and that love is gone. And God confronts them with this. Verse 5, he says, Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. This is... Remember, the prophets were poets, right? I mean, you're, you're, the text should not be um, like, like normal prose, but it should be set up as poetry in your scriptures. And, and so the language here that God uses through Hosea is meant to illustrate Right? Because he says that that he has hewn them by the prophets. And so think of a a stone. And and notice the language that he uses here is similar to the idea of making idols, right? Because what they would do is they would they would take a piece of rock or a piece of stone and, and they and they would and they would cut into it and carve it and then polish it. And that's how they made their idols. Right? And he says, You, Israel and Judah, were were a block of stone. And I hewn you. I I cut into you and I carved you and I polished you and I did it by the words of the prophets. My words are what formed you into the people that you are. Listen, Israel would not exist if God didn't come to Abraham and say, go. Israel would not exist if God didn't go, (coughs) if God didn't meet Jacob. Well, he was running away from Esau because of the great evil and deception that he had done. And God didn't speak to Jacob and say, I will be with you just like I was with Abraham and Isaac. God's word is what makes the nation of Israel different from all of the other nations around them. The people of God have always been creatures of the Word. God's Word is what formed the nation of Israel, and God's Word is what forms the church today. What changes us, what, what cuts into us, what polishes us, what even, I mean, listen to the strong language of I have slain them by the words of my mouth and my judgment goes forth as the light, right? What, what gives us illumination and what kills the sin inside of us is God's word. Hosea wants them to, or God wants them to understand through Hosea that they are a people formed. By the word of God. But not only that, but then we see what God wants. Verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants a covenant keeping love from his people and not empty worship. God is distinctly telling the people of Israel, I don't want your animal sacrifices if it doesn't come with your love. And God is telling us, I don't want you to come to church on Sunday mornings, to listen to sermons and to sing songs, to take the Lord's Supper and to to participate in baptism and to, to, to participate in discipleship if it doesn't give me your love. And friends, the covenant-keeping love that God wants from us can't come from us. Notice the history of God with his people. In fact, not to jump ahead too quickly, but in verse 7, Adam is going to be connected with covenants. And you know what's strange? Is that there is no covenant in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. We do not see where God makes a covenant with Adam. Adam. We see in the scriptures where God makes a covenant with Noah, where he makes one with Abraham, where he renews it with Isaac and with Jacob. We see where he makes a covenant with Moses, where he makes a covenant with David. And then we hear in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel hints of the new covenant, right, that's made through Jesus. But most theologians throughout Christian history have talked about there being a covenant between Adam and God, even though there isn't explicitly one given. And it's that, that idea that God created Adam and Eve, He loved them, He was in fellowship with them, and they would obey Him, right? It was a covenant of works that they would obey and God would provide and protect. All of the, all of the other covenants have been covenants that pointed to grace, that God chose his people and is giving them grace. And the new covenant is the ultimate covenant of grace. Because you and I, just like like the rest, just like Adam and Abraham and the rest of them, we cannot keep covenants. We can tell God, yes, yes, Lord, we we will keep your covenant. But you know what we'll do? We will turn around and we will break it because we are fickle just like the rest of God's people. And so our covenant is kept by Jesus. Right? What does he say at, at the Lord's Supper with, with the cup? This is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood which is poured out for you. And so this covenant that we have This covenant love that we have, it doesn't doesn't come from us. It starts with Christ. It starts with his work on the cross. It starts with his resurrection. It starts with him filling us with his Holy Spirit. And it is only in chasing him and following him and being his disciple that we can keep this covenant love that God desires from us. And in fact, I would say that the next half of verse 6 continues that idea. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the other thing that God desires. He wants us, God wants his people to know him again and not empty worship. God doesn't want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have an intimate knowledge of God. And the way that happens is not through Sunday morning attendance. The way that happens is through discipleship. Through personal discipleship, through collective discipleship, through connecting into the rhythms of the church. Verses 7 through 11a, the reality of life apart from God, the reality of life apart from God. Verse 7, but like Adam, they, being Israel, transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a a city of evildoers tracked with blood as robbers lie in wait for a man So the priests band together, they murder on the way to Shechem, they commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, old Judah, a harvest is appointed. So God confronts us with who we are apart from him. Apart from God, we are covenant breakers just like Adam, right? It was, we can have the best intentions in the world, but it is only through the power of God that we can keep our end of the covenant. It is only through the work of God in our lives that that's possible, so just like Adam, the people of Israel transgressed the covenant. Just like Adam, all of humanity has transgressed against the laws of God. Now, two areas in Israel are mentioned here. The first one is Gilead. Uh, Gilead was, is the, the land that is east of the Jordan River. So if, if, you, if you go back in your history of, of the nation of Israel... As, as the nation has, has left Egypt and as they're, they're beginning to cross over the Jordan and, and enter into the promised land, uh, there was some land that was east of the Jordan that, that they were allowed to take. And so some of the tribes set up there. And we're told that Gilead is, is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood, right? And, and this, is, this is that reminder that apart from God, we, we do evil. Apart from God, our hearts are bent on evil, Even in the good that we do apart from God, we do it for the wrong reasons. And not only is it the common folk, but also the religious leaders. Verse 9, as robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. Apart from God, religious leaders are like thieves and murderers. Shechem was a city that was at the southern end of Israel. It would have been close to where Judah and Israel's borders met. Uh, Shechem was close to Samaria, which was the capital of Israel when the two kingdoms split. But Shechem was a a main hub of roads as you went through Israel. And so one of the places that robbers like to hide out was near Shechem because they knew that you had to go through Shechem to get to wherever you wanted to go. And so what, what God is saying about the religious leaders is not that they hang out in certain cities, but that they hang out where people are most vulnerable. Right? The priests and the prophets, as, as we heard at the beginning of the service from chapter 7, um, They want to take advantage of people. They want to steal from them. Friends, this is is just like Paul's warnings in his letters to Timothy and Titus about the false teachers that were in the church. People don't get into the ministry to... uh, I want to be careful in how I say this. Um... It is easy in the ministry to take advantage of people if you know what you're doing. It's easy to, to, to take advantage of, of vulnerable people for the things that you want. And ultimately, Paul, in his letters to Timothy and Titus, he, he mentions three things that the false teachers want. It's either power or money or sex. And how often, unfortunately, do we see pastors fall over power, money, and sex? And this was a problem for the nation of Israel. And it, it always has been a problem and it always will be a problem as long as people are trying to live apart from God. Religious leaders become like thieves and murderers. Not only that, but, but verse 10, uh, what God has seen in the house of Israel, this horrible thing where Israel is defiled and, and they whore after God's. Um, this reminds us that we whore after idols of our own making. We make these idols in, in, into things that we like, and then we go and we worship them. And, and there's this quote from Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, I think I've quoted him before. Um, He he talks about how, um, you know, there should be parts of God that make you uncomfortable and things about God that you don't like. Because if you're completely comfortable with God and you're completely and and you're completely you like everything about God, that probably means that you've made it an image of God. You've made an idol. Um, You know, there should be things in the scripture that make you uneasy because it reminds you that you're not God you're not. And, and the fact that God commands things of us that we don't like, and the fact that he does things that we wouldn't do ourselves, it reminds us that we are the broken ones and the sinful ones, and he is God. And so we repent, and we humble ourselves, and we trust him, and we follow him. And we submit to him. This warning at the end. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. This, this reminds us that without repentance and faith, Judah is going to end up just like Israel. And without repentance and faith, we will end up just like Israel. Don't forget that prophets spoke to the people of God. And so as we read the prophets, our first thought should not go to our nation or our state or our community. It should start here. Friends, the church is the people of God. And so these warnings are for us. These concerns are for us. We have to start with our hearts and our hands and and begin there. So we see in chapter 6 of Hosea that God is calling us to love him because he first loved us. And so, very quickly, how do we apply this? I want to give you three ways and three areas. The first one is in the church. We, together, need to define love by the gospel. This covenant-keeping love that God is wanting from us has to be defined by the gospel. The bad news that we are broken sinners and the good news that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to live the perfectly obedient life, to die a sacrificial death and three days later come back to life. That is what should define love for us. So when we begin to talk about loving one another, it should be a gospel-centered love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. We don't love each other because of things that we can get out of each other. Right? We don't need a transactional love between us. We need a, need a gospel-centered love that says every person that walks into these doors is created in the image of God. Everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Christ is a brother or sister in Christ. And because of that, we will be radically committed to their joy, well-being, and honor for our joy. That's what should drive our love, and that's what should define love in this space. In our families, we need to build a safe space for repentance. We need to build a safe, safe space for repentance. Husbands and dads and, and granddads... This means for us, we need to be the first ones to repent. When we sin, be quick to confess and repent. Don't, don't give off this idea to children, grandchildren, and, and so on and so forth, that, that we're, we've got everything handled and everything figured out, and Jesus is just a little add-on in our lives. We want our kids and our grandkids to see that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? You want Jesus to be the hero of your home. And if that's going to happen, you need to be quick to confess and repent. And we need to be gracious for the confession and repentance that happens in our home. Moms and dads, be gracious towards your children. Encourage them to be repenters. Encourage them to see the beauty of God's grace and the ugliness of sin. Let's not teach our children and our spouses that that it's better to conceal sin than to put light to it and repent of it. Let's make our homes a safe space for repentance. Finally, as individuals, we need to realize how fickle our hearts are and train ourselves accordingly. Realize how fickle your heart is and train yourself accordingly. Friends, it's just like that hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It is too easy for our hearts and minds to get shifted all over the place. Look, can I? I'm going to share a very personal illustration to end. And I wasn't planning on doing this, but let's go for it. Um, so Vacation Bible School was this week, right? We had over 50 kids. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful time. Uh, My whole family was exhausted yesterday, right? I mean like laid out exhausted. And and the truth of the matter is, um we couldn't even sleep in Saturday because Reese had a volleyball game. So we had to we had to leave the house by eight o'clock to be in Cruces for volleyball matches. And so um so we came home after that and uh you know most everybody went to <laughs> I mean, long naps were taken. Um and And there was there was a moment for, for Megan and I as we were talking, and, and just how, you know, how worn out we were um, and how how spiritually drained we were, because there were moments this week when we were behind on things and trying to catch up, um, that we we weren't as attuned to our own hearts and souls as, as we needed to be and um, and then you throw in the busyness and the craziness of. Of over fifty kids, and 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 uh, and it was just—I mean, we were—we weren't just physically exhausted; we were spiritually exhausted too. And um, and it was a good reminder that even in good things, we can get sidetracked, right? Even when we're doing things that honor the Lord and are good for Him. If we take a few days off from our time of prayer and our time of scripture study, if we we take time away from the things that we need to make us happy in Jesus, even in the good things, we can get twisted around and, and turned upside down. And so I just want to encourage you from my own life, know how easy it is to get sidetracked know how easy it is to get pulled off of the things that the Lord wants from you and he doesn't want the motions he doesn't want empty worship he wants your heart he wants your affections he wants your he wants everything from you And the reason he wants that is not because he's some strange dictator sitting up in heaven thinking, ooh, I want to control everybody. No, it's because he knows that what's going to make you the happiest is him. He knows that that what he created you for was to worship him. And so if your heart and your mind are going after other things, one, it's going to dishonor him, but two, it's not going to make you happy. So the Lord wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is him. So listen to these warnings from Hosea. Take them to heart. And know that God is calling you to a life of repentance and faithfulness. And he's calling you to it from the position of love. The love that drove Jesus to the cross for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time.